Welcome to the Active Faith Podcast, where we are building a theology of self-care together. My name is Andrew Ware. I am your host, and I am the Running Rev. Through conversations with others and reflections, we are seeking to build a theology of self-care, exploring how we take that initiative to care for ourselves as we seek to live out our faith and vocations. On this episode, I have the Reverend Thomas James. Thomas joins us just like Beth Anderson did a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> to explore this nature of renewal leave, what it looks like. And really with Thomas, I explore what went into his decision for renewal leave and how he had those conversations to make sure that he had the opportunity to care for himself in this time. And and what an important part and piece of this conversation it becomes as we all seek to find these ways because we have to have conversations about how we create these boundaries for our own self-care. And so we jump into this conversation with Thomas James, uh, and this is a great milestone episode because this is episode 50. This is the 50th episode that I have released between all of the conversations I have had, the uh, sermon series that I just wrapped up doing and posting on this feed. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out. It's uh, um, the the non-named uh, like person name episodes of the podcast, and so go and check those out. But this is episode 50. What an awesome opportunity it has been to offer you these 50 episodes. And so uh, without any further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Thomas James. All right. Welcome in, everybody. We are joined today by Thomas James. Thomas, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing all right. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be with you. Awesome. And this is another opportunity to talk to a pastor about uh, some recent leave that they've taken and what it's been like to come back. But before we jump into that conversation, Thomas, why don't you introduce yourself to our guests? Who are you? Uh, where do you call home? And why is self-care important for you? Sure. So I am Thomas James. Um, I am the lead pastor at Washington Street United Methodist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, home for me is currently Alexandria. Um, I live in Fairfax County, just outside the city of Alexandria itself. Um, and self-care, you know, I've been hearing since I went into ministry that we as clergy are terrible at self-care. Um, it's something that we are not good at from a personal perspective. You know, we, we dedicate a lot of our family time, our personal time to answering emails, to answering texts, to going to church meetings late at night. Um, and so for me, I find self-care important, number one, because I think it helps my own mental framework. Number two, I think it helps my family life. Um, and number three, it, it allows me to be more focused and present with people from the church when I actually am with people from the church. And I think for a lot of us, it's that kind of quartering off different parts of our life that help us to be able to practice that a lot. And so uh, how long have you been a pastor for? <laughs> um, I was ordained in 2014, uh, but I started serving in youth ministry in 2003. So I'm coming up on almost 20 years of serving in some ministry capacity. And that's a lot of time to spend in a vocation. Uh, and so what has your times of renewal, your times of leave looked like over the past almost 20 years now? So I am someone who does not exercise on the regular. Um, my exercise regimen looks like playing golf one day a week, um, which is great. But in order to play golf, you have to have an extended period of absence from the house or from the office. Um, 
And so for me, I am intentional about trying to keep a full weekend um, since I obviously work on Sunday mornings. Um, my work week tends to run Sunday through Thursday, and I do everything I can to play golf on Friday and to have the time on Saturday with the family. Um, I've been intentional about taking multiple weeks of vacation a year, whether that's around the holidays to see family, you know, around Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, but also trying to get away at least once, if not for two weeks during the summer, sometimes as a private family vacation and other times to vacation with extended family. Um, I had a, a pastor, I worked as an associate previously, and my previous senior pastor was always very intentional about inviting us as associates to take that time away. We had associate pastors who could fill in the pulpit when one of us was out of town. And so it was actually a blessing in my first pastorate as an associate pastor. It kind of was instilled in me that I would take a minimum of four weeks of vacation a year. Uh, my senior pastor almost insisted that we took that time away. And so that was helpful up front. Yeah. And so when you're, and, and we'll get to the extended leave that you just returned from, spoiler alert for those listening. <laughs> um, but in your, in your average year of ministry, in, in those years where you were focusing on that, you know, four weeks of vacation, uh, those that Friday and Saturday, which I love that you're another pastor who's recognized, no, it's not one day, it's, it's two days that, that, that I take off a week. Uh, what what was what was renewal like in those times? And as we approached and got into the pandemic, were those were those things enough? Yeah. So Friday and Saturday as a two day kind of weekend is hardly ever enough, in part because they are the two days that lead into Sunday. And mm -hmm. so any work that did not get finished prior to the end of Thursday's business hours ultimately has to be completed before Sunday morning. Um, worship is going to be there. The bulletin has to be printed. The sermon has to be finished. Um, and so I would say a Friday, Saturday off has always been aspirational, more so than concrete. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, there's always an email or two. There's always some type of work that bleeds into a Friday, Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, and so th there's always a challenge with that, of trying mm -hmm. to really maintain space away. Um, on a vacation perspective, I I'm pretty good about being completely disconnected when I go on vacation. Um, and I, I think this is partly how our churches are set up, how our staffing is set up, whether we have the capacity to do this or not. Uh, in my current setting, I have a pastoral care assistant. And so when I go on vacation, my pastoral care assistant is in charge of pastoral care. I don't need to be there to respond if someone dies. I don't need to be there if someone goes into the hospital because I have somebody else scheduled and set mm. up to be able to handle that for me. Um, so inevitably, you know, sometimes on vacations, there were calls, there were things I needed to deal with. But for the most part, I've been pretty good on family vacations of really disconnecting um, with the possible exception of like the day or two before vacation ends. If I'm coming back in town on a Thursday, Friday, Friday, Saturday, and I know I have a worship service to lead the day I get back, there's always a little bit of work to prep before you return. And. I, I think as listeners kind of listen to that, what they hear is a lot of times those days off during the week, those vacations during the year, they aren't enough over the lifetime of a ministry. And yeah. so and so that leads into this idea of, you know, whether we want to call it extended renewal, sabbatical, I know we have different words for it in, in our tradition, uh, but yeah. that leads into this conversation to these extended times of renewal where, you know, here in the Methodist church, every five, seven years, we get these times of extended renewal where we can take more time off and, and really focus on, you know, what has been filling our cup, really focus on better ways that we can take care of ourselves. And so what, 
what played into your decision to take that extended renewal leave now? So, so first of all, you know, for folks who are listening, Thomas James just got back from, uh, how long did you take off? Three months, three months off, uh, from, from his church. Um, you know, we can go in a little bit later about what you did, but, but what led into that? Sure. So you asked the question previously too, about sabbatical or about COVID and how Mm -hmm. the pandemic aided in some of this. Um, six months into the pandemic. So if the pandemic kind of hit hard around March, end of March, 2020, um, by September of that year, I probably, it was probably when I made the first comment to my leadership team and said, I don't know how long this is going to last. We all thought that the pandemic was going to last maybe three to six months and then maybe six to 12 months. Um, so at month six, I said to my leadership team, either before the pandemic ends or as soon as it ends, I'm going to need to take time away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was already finding six months in, I was just exhausted. Um, the pandemic, one of the things the pandemic did is it changed our work schedules, right? It changed our ability to work just f- five days a week. We're all, at least in, in my community, we are all working from home. Um, I was not in the office, but maybe one day a week. Um, and so it made my work schedule much more fluid. And I ended up working every day of the week, a few hours a day. and dealing with people who were sick, dealing with people who were dying, trying to do worship in a way we had never done worship before. Um, So six months in, I was exhausted. Um, By the time we got to the same point in 2021, a year later, so now we're a year and a half into the pandemic, um, I I, I was done, right? I was was burnt out to say the least. Um, And so again, I brought it up with my leadership team. We had kind of been talking about it all along, but I was like, look, I can't, I can't wait until this is over because we don't know when this is going to end. I need time away. Um, And so we started planning for me to take leave in the summer of 22. Um, As you mentioned, United Methodist Church has this uh, book of discipline that tells us what renewal leave or sabbatical can look like. And one of the things it's very clear on is that pastors can take an extended period of leave once every six years. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't have to take it, but it's available to them. And so. I had been in ministry at that point for, I had been ordained ministry for over 10 years. Um, And so I worked my leadership team to schedule out a three-month leave that would run the summer of 22. Um, There are obviously lots of questions that a church has to answer in terms of making that happen. They've got to find guest pastors. They've got to get things in place to make sure the pastor can leave. By the time we made a formal decision, allocated funding for it, and really started getting on the ball for it, um, I had about three months to prep the congregation for me to be gone. Mm-hmm. And I spent the majority of that time training other people to do the kinds of things that I had been doing. So I, I was the one who was posting the sermons on our website and on our podcast every week. Someone else had to take over that. I had been setting up our live stream computer every week. Somebody else had to set, take care of that. Um, so there were a lot of things that I had to get out of my hands, out of my plate, into somebody else's hands, onto their plate so that during my renewal leave, the church could continue to function in a vital way. And for for many of us pastors and probably folks in other vocations thinking about sabbatical longer-term leaves, those are often the boundaries that make it very difficult. You know, you say we are allotted this, this extended leave every six years. We don't have to take it. Now, I think the ideal, and if you talk to you know Jesse, who I've had on the podcast before, and clergy excellence, they're like, no, you really need to take it. Um, right. And and you brought up just a lot of really good points. Of sometimes it's daunting. Um, 
I followed a pastor who took a, a three month sabbatical and I, I, I try to stay away from using the word animosity, but, but there was almost there, there was almost like a, I mean, almost an anger that was, that was with that, which, which I Absolutely. felt bad about. Cause now I'm on the precipice of being able to have that time. And I'm like, do I bring it up? Cause it sounds like it was a pretty, you know, heated back and forth thing in the yep. church for a while. So what you talk about, what y'all put in place, what was that process? What was the the conversations you were having? How were you approaching those conversations with, right. with those who you're serving with? Um, so I would say there, there are a lot of components to it that are worth approaching. Um, first and foremost, honestly, is the financial side. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I was adamant with my leadership team about was if I was going to take sabbatical, I needed some type of financial stipend to make it possible to actually take sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I didn't want to do was sit around my house and twiddle my thumbs for three months. Um, but I also, just because of family and personal preferences, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get on a plane. The pandemic is still going on. I didn't want to travel abroad, but I needed to get away. Um, and I knew that was only going to be possible if there was some type of financial support to get me out of the house. And so we had some conversation around that. Uh, the second piece was administrative. Uh, there were administrative tasks that I was doing that someone else was going to have to do. And so we had to have conversation around who's the right person to do this. Is it the leadership board, the administrative council, or is it other staff? Um, and so the way I set it up, the way that the chair of our leadership team and the chair of my personnel committee and I framed this was we, we've been talking about this for a couple of years anyway. There were tasks that I was doing administratively that I really shouldn't have been doing. Somebody else should have been doing them, but we're a small church, we're a small staff, um, and we're a very staff-driven church. The mm-hmm. laity often expect the staff to do the majority of the, the work. And so there was a question of, can we set this up? Can we frame this? Can we use this as a way to help us as a church alleviate some of the administrative tasks from the pastor's plate so that when he comes back from renewal leave, he's not taking back on administrative tasks that he shouldn't have been doing in the first place? Yeah. And so we actually used it from a leadership perspective as a kind of a trial run of what it would look like for other staff, other laity, administrative council to take on responsibility that they rightfully should have been doing anyway. Um, and the first thing I did when I came back, I mean, I've been back for almost two months. Uh, I sat down with all of my staff and I sat down with the leadership team and I said, what are you doing that you weren't doing before? Should you be doing it? Should someone else be doing it? Mm. And we're now talking through staffing structure to accommodate for all the work that has been taken off of my plate so that I can focus more on worship on pastoral care on visioning and community connection and finding other ways for these other positions other responsibilities to take care of Um, so that's one of the ways we framed it we framed it as a healthy way to help us kind of right direction the ship in terms of administrative tasks and responsibilities and so even before you left you were already in that mode of using your leave to learn and grow as a in a vocational sense and, and that's how I like to frame a lot of these leaves is we don't just go on these leaves to get rest. Because uh, if we go on these leaves and we just expect, okay, cool, I'm going to be gone for three months. It, you know, you weren't flying anywhere. So like, all right, I'll get to sleep during the day. You were doing it during the summer. So your kids were at home a little bit more probably. Um, right. But, you know, I'm just going to, and people might treat it as a time to sit home and twiddle their thumbs. But it needs to be this proactive time where we focus on, you know, okay, yeah, at some point in time, I'm going back to work. You know, um, and yeah, so so I would say I think I took a different approach to this than a lot of clergy do, um, because (laughs) I think I did exactly what you just said. 
Uh, I was very intentional. I told my board this ahead of time. Um, I told my congregation this ahead of time. I needed rest. Yeah. I didn't want to do any reading. I didn't want to do any studying. I didn't want to do uh, anything that was theology or church related in my absence. Um, really, and, and part of this, I think, is because of the pandemic, right? I had spent so much time in the last couple of years putting more of myself into the role of church work that what I really needed was a time to disconnect completely from that work. Um, and so I didn't. I didn't. I, I did not read a book this summer. I don't like reading. That's just one of my, my things. <laughs> so I didn't read a book this summer. I didn't listen to any podcasts with the exception of some of the daily. Um, so no church podcasts, if anything, a little political. Um, I did not have conversations with any of my church members. Um, I had very few conversations with colleagues that were church related. I met with some colleagues to build relationship and be friends with them, but not to have conversation about the church. We had annual conference while I was gone. I did not participate or have any conversation with anyone around annual conference. Um, so what, what I needed was to really and truly disconnect and get away. Mm -hmm. um, I can say more about what that looked like, um, but, but for me, when I came back, and, and actually two conversations stand out, uh, halfway through, we were about middle of June, my, my wife and I went away for a weekend, um, and I remember she asked me, she goes, so what have, you, what have you gleaned from the first half of your sabbatical? I'm like, that I like playing golf, because that's <laughs> what I did a lot of. Um, and when I came back, my, my leadership team was like, we want to hear about what you learned while you were gone. And I was like, as y'all remember, I said I wasn't going to learn anything. My, my intention was not to learn anything. Um, and so I, I really did. I needed the rest. I needed to disconnect. Mm -hmm. I needed to get away. And, and that was the entire focus of my leave. Um, I, we use the term sabbatical a lot because everyone knows what that word means. But in the Methodist church, we also use the word renewal leave. Um, and for me, that I was using that word consistently because sabbatical tends to carry some type of learning component yeah. with it. Renewal leave is just complete absence from work. And that, that was really my focus. And let's dive into that. So, so when you, because I love that, I love that differentiation between sabbatical, which is what we often understand, you know, especially in the academic world, professors will take sabbaticals, they'll go and they'll, they'll write a book, you know, doctors right. will take sabbaticals and they'll go and they'll, you know, study in and something that really hones in their craft. Uh, and even pastors will take, you know, sabbaticals, uh, and maybe they'll go and, you know, they'll walk the Camino de Santiago or they'll do something very faith-based. Uh, but you bring in this renewal aspect. So let me ask you real quick to define renewal for our listeners. Like, what does renewal mean to you? Yeah, so I think for me, the word renewal talks about replenishing the dry well, right? So I, I had more than one person comment on how snippy I was getting before I took my leave, right? My temper was short. My ability to deal with some of the greater frustrations of the denomination and of the conference was very short. Um, the way I responded to people had gotten very terse. Mm -hmm. um, and it was clear that my, my empathy well was dry. My energy well was dry. Um, my desire to be involved in this work was running low. And so for me, the renewal was just a replenishing of that energy. I needed to find in myself the capacity to offer grace in a way that I wasn't offering grace. I needed the ability to replenish um, that, that desire to continue in the work of ministry because the last two years 
two and a half years have really just been a beat down to the point where I was like, is this really what I want to do for the long term? Mm -hmm. um, it's not it's not the career I thought I signed up for. So is it the career I want to continue in? I mean, I think that there are so many people who sympathize and empathize even deeper with that. Uh, not even I mean, I know that there have been several times during the pandemic, you know, that I've had that feeling. Um, I was one of the pastors that was uh, unlucky enough to move in 2020 uh, in, in sort of the highest point of the pandemic. And it really right. does speak to that. You know, are we equipped as a society to handle things like renewal? You know, I think you're right. We get so caught up in that sabbatical sense. And so when we go away for an extended period of time, um, you know, I remember, what was it? I think it was in 2021, you know, our bishop uh, afforded us an extra week of renewal leave during the year. And I got really excited because to go on top of the four weeks of vacation we get a year, the the just standard week of renewal leave we get a year, which I try and take all of that leave. It's like, okay, cool. Now I have another week of renewal leave. And I remember sitting down with my SPRC, that sort of human resources board that we have at our churches. And I felt the need to explain what I was going to do on this leave. Um, so we had used our vacation. We went to Pigeon Forge. Uh, we had just, and then I backed it up to that week of renewal leave. And I'm sitting there and I'm telling my SPRC, it's like, all right, well, I'm going to the lake, but I'm going to bring, um, I'm going to bring a theological book with me and I'm really going to dive in. I can't even remember. It was like very pointed towards like a sermon series that, that we had been wanting to preach. It was very pointed towards a lot of our visioning process that we were doing. Um, but I felt the need to like identify with them. Okay. I've been given renewal leave. This is what I'm doing. Um, do, do you think there's a perspective in our society at large where where we feel like we have to justify like the yeah. care that we give to ourselves? So it's so that in preparing for this renewal leave that I took, and again, the church did give me money to go on renewal leave. Yeah. And so we had some conversation ahead of time of how we wanted that money to function. Um, did we want to make it a reimbursable amount where after I did activities that required extra funding, I build the church for it? Or did we want the church to just give me money up front and I would use it with either some accountability on the backside or no accountability on the backside? Um, and so we talked about what would it look like if I, you know, kept a record of all the receipts that I spent during the summer so that there was some type of validity to those expenses at the end of the summer, that I wasn't mm -hmm. just pocketing the money and sitting at home the whole time, but I was actually doing the things I said I wanted to be able to do. Um, and as I talked with my finance team about that, I said, can I just be honest? It doesn't sound renewing to have to keep track of all the receipts that I spend this summer. Uh, it doesn't sound like I'm going to be able to really focus on the renewal aspect, the refreshing aspect, if I am feeling like the SPRC or the leadership board is just kind of hovering above my shoulder, watching every activity that I do. Um, and so we were, we were very clear with each other. They were okay with it. And I was pleased with it. Um, that. It, they knew what I was planning to do. I had given them kind of an Excel sheet up front that said, here's where I think the expenses are going to go to. Mm -hmm. But I was not expected to keep track of it. I, I did not have to come back with receipts. Um, and that that honestly made the renewal leave that much more enjoyable for me was that that we had built a level of trust. Yeah. They, they had understood where I was personally and emotionally um, and professionally. Um, and they said, we, we want you to go, we want this to be a true renewal for you. We don't want to put anything else on you. Um, and so I think a couple of things to your question, number one, I think that we as clergy 
probably put more, um, we, we demand more of ourselves because of our role than a lot of people think we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we put burdens on our own plate that if we're honest, we don't want, but we think the church wants of us. Mm-hmm. And so I think by having those open conversations, I think by being more transparent with our leadership teams, um, they can have a better sense of where we are and what we need. Uh, I think we always ex- we're always expecting ourselves to be a giver. And so we, we give even to the expense of our own well-being. Um, we, I talked about this earlier, right, about yeah. how clergy is not a very health-based you know, profession. It's because we think people need more of us, as if we have to be the Christ mm-hmm. for other people, as opposed to letting Christ be Christ and us just being a professor and a proclaimer. Yeah. Well, and I, and I wonder how much that plays a role in how we serve our communities as well. Uh, and, you know, I think that that's part of the reason where, you know, whenever we go on clergy retreats now, they continue to to just shove down our throats, self-care, self-care, self-care. And, and one of my complaints uh, has always been, you know, you tell me I need to take care of myself, but you're not giving me the theological tools that helps hmm. to really be able to help us understand not just the not just the deeper why, but even the practical understanding like you're talking about where it's like, no, I know I need to take renewal leave, but how do I stop being a martyr for my own congregation that the buck, right. like, does the buck have to stop with me? Um, right. I know one of the things I've done now, my past two appointments is I've always found somebody in the congregation to be a point of congregational care so that the responsibility of pastoral care is not completely and totally on my back. That it does not mean that I don't do pastoral care. It doesn't mean that I don't go visit people or do those kinds right. of things. What it means is I'm not the central focal point of caring right. for the congregation. And I think in our pastoral understanding in the church, we often think that we have to be that central figure, that central point. Be- and and I, I think it comes with the the education and the learning. You know, when you think about just any type of profession uh, that people practice, you know, we're the ones who have, you know, we've done three years at least of of graduate work in the Methodist Church. Like you have to have a Master's of Divinity or you have to have gone through uh, what we call course of study, which is five years. But a Master's of Divinity could be anywhere from like three to seven. Um, right. It's one of the longest, you know, post uh, postgraduate yeah. programs that exists in the United States. Um, yeah. And so we go through all this education. So I wonder if there's that understanding whether we think we're better than other people, which I hope not, mm-hmm. but but even whether it's just like we we feel like we need to be that central figure when we're practicing and when we're doing those things. So <laughs> um I I would I would offer two things. I, I think number one, I'm not sure it's so much that we think we need to as much as it is that we want to. Fair enough. I think a lot of clergy <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to be uh, kind with my words while also realistic, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I think we as clergy have a inflated self of ego. And so it's not that we want to give more of ourselves. It's that we literally think we are the only ones capable. Mm. Um, because we've done this extended seminary program, um, because... God has somehow called us or given us more authority than others. 
Um, we believe that we are more capable. We believe that we are more proficient. Mm -hmm. We believe that we are the right person in the life of the community to offer that pastoral care, to be present for people who are looking for some type of comforting presence. Um, and I think for many of us, it strokes us in a way that builds us up from an unhealthy perspective. Mm. Um, I will say <laughs> there are a lot of things that stroke my ego in an unhealthy way. Pastoral care is not one of them. <laughs> um, pastoral care has, is just not a passion of mine. Yeah. It's, it's something I do because God has called me to do it. But for me, um, I have a pastoral care assistant who does the majority of our pastoral care. Um, and I, my, my love of church is the community aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, I want the community to care for itself. Um, I, I was at a conference some, some years ago and one of the pastors said, he goes, look, if I walk into your, your hospital room, it's not good news because I'm only showing up when you're getting ready to die. Yeah. Um, he said, the congregation is going to be there. Ministry leaders are going to be there. The community is going to care for you. He goes, but if I'm the pastor and showing up, <laughs> I'm offering you last rites. Um, and, and I think it's important to remember that we as clergy are given specific tasks that only we as clergy can do. Mm -hmm. Right. In the Methodist church, we as clergy are the only ones who are authorized to preside over the sacraments. Um, and we are the ones who are given in the local church the authority to determine what worship looks like, right? We yeah. decide who worships and when we worship. We do that in often great tension with our, our, our ministry teams. But we as the clergy are given the full authority on membership and on worship and on sacraments. But we believe in a ministry of all believers. We believe every person in the community, in the church community, is called to be a part of the ministry itself. Um, of caring for one another, being part of the community. And so I think it is important that we take ourselves off the pedestal as if we're the only ones who know how to pray or can pray well, mm -hmm. as if we're the only ones who know how to empathize with others, if we're the only ones who can sense the movement of the spirit in the room, um, and we give space to each other. Because especially in the Methodist Church, we are itinerant, we will come and we will go, but that community will always be there. Yeah. And so if they become dependent on us, to have healthy relationship and healthy pastoral care, um, we're really setting them up for failure. I think it was, it was either one of our colleagues, Leanne Taylor, or um, I think it was Leanne said, we are set apart, not set above. Yeah. Um, and I think that that really struck me as to, to speak to that, you know, community church is a community and pastors have been merely set apart in a different role not set above to kind of lord over. Uh, right. And I think that that becomes one of those sticking points when we start talking about what it looks like to do ministry together within our churches. Um, and at, and I, so I want to jump into this renewal leave and this time that you spent away. You know, we spent yeah. a lot of time talking about this conversation. Hopefully this helps folks because, again, like going into the leave is probably one of the hardest parts. I think that oh there's something coming back. And, and we talked to Beth. Anderson about that and the scariness of coming back in. But so, so what did your renewal leave look like? Yeah. So I, I went into it again without intention of doing any work. Um, I wanted to find time, ways and times to rest. And so as I planned ahead of time to kind of budget for it and to obviously if I'm traveling at all, I need to make travel arrangements before the day I leave. So I had to do some pre-planning. My intention was to do three main things to play golf, to go fishing, 
and to spend time with my family. Um, I went fishing a couple of times in the first two weeks and I caught zero fish. Oh, and so I kind of gave up fishing for the rest of the summer. Um, <laughs> And I ended up playing way more golf than I expected to. I thought I would go to the driving range one or two days a week and maybe play a round of golf. Um, I ended up going to some type of golfing event, whether it was a golf course or a driving range, almost four to five days a week, um, especially in May when the kids were still in school. Mm -hmm. But even in June and July, uh, I planned a couple of specific trips. I went away by myself, I think four different times, mm -hmm. um, three, three different times. And and I basically went to play golf. I, I went away for one weekend where I bought the unlimited golf package at a resort. Um, I played 130 holes of golf over four Ooh. days. Um, and so I, I've always enjoyed golf. I mean, I've been playing golf seriously for about 12 years, 13 years. Um, but it, for me, it's just, it's a stress relief. Mm -hmm. It's a way to get out into the midst of the creation. Um, it's a sport that I get to control everything that happens to myself. I can't blame anybody else for what happens. And so it really allows me to, to focus on my own athletic abilities, my own mental abilities, my own um, health. Uh, so yeah, so I, I <laughs> shy of saying I did nothing but play golf. I did nothing but play golf. Um, and I and I did. I spent a lot of time with my family. My kids joined the swim team this summer. Um, it's the first time they've been on swim team. And for anyone who's never done swim team, that is an obligation. <laughs> uh, I never knew how often they practice. It's only eight weeks long. Um, but man, they, they're in the pool five, uh, six days a week between practice and competitions. And mm -hmm. so when I wasn't playing golf, I was at the pool, hanging out with the kids, watching them swim. Um, and so swim and golf really defined yeah. the majority of my summer. I'll say needless to say the volunteer opportunities where you have to stand at the end of the pool with a stopwatch. <laughs> I I worked on the I worked at the desk. I liked the computer aspect of it more than the stopwatch aspect of it. But yes, there you uh, go. Absolutely, there you volunteerism go. is necessary there too. Yeah, I remember uh, I was on a swim team as a kid, and so I remember my parents always just. I mean, you, you're right. We were there all the time, and then um, I don't think I've ever, aside from professional golfers, I don't think I see anybody on a course more often than Thomas James. Um, <laughs> he, he, That's. I'll be going there later today. Let's be honest. <laughs> I think it was, uh, didn't you used to organize a golf outing at annual conference for a handful of pastors? I didn't organize it. We used to have like a, a charity tournament. Okay. Um, uh, Burke, not Burke Cloud. Um, I'm blanking on the name. There was a pastor down in Roanoke who organized one a couple of times. Um, I always put a team into it, yeah. uh, but I, I wasn't the one who organized it. Okay. Yeah. So you can always find Thomas on the golf course. Um, <laughs> sure. And so we look at renewal leave and you just showed us, right? It, it, it doesn't involve, you know, you said you, you, you didn't read any books, which, which you're not a fan of books to begin with. And, and, you know, um, you know, you didn't listen to podcasts that had anything to do with, with church, with faith, with anything like that. Yeah. So, so I pre, so when I came back into worship in August, um, I had not, I literally did not do any work until the day I came back in. So I had not planned worship for the next Sunday mm -hmm. yet. Um, so I came back in on a Monday morning. So I wasn't walking back into church on a Sunday as my first day back. And as I sat down to think, okay, I've got six days to plan a worship service and I've got to kind of help my musician because I hadn't given them any indication on what I was going to be preaching on that month. Um, what I ended up preaching on the first four weeks was conversations that I had on golf courses. Because while I was intentional about not talking to clergy and friends and whatever colleagues about church, Inevitably, when you're on a golf course, you're playing with other people you don't know, and they ask the question because you're trying, you're spending four hours with someone you've never met before. Yeah. So you end up having a lot of conversations, and the question came up a lot: What do you do for a living? Um, and 
I have a love hate relationship with telling people I'm a pastor. Um, I want to be honest. I'm a pastor. I'm trying to be truthful. Um, and I'd always, I always had this hate, this fear in the back of my mind of telling someone I'm not a pastor, but then them coming to my church and walking in and be like, Oh, you said you did something else. Right. Yeah. So like, I, I can't, I don't let myself not tell them I'm a pastor. Yeah. But as soon as you tell someone you're a pastor, man, everything, everything. Right. So they either want you to be their pastor and they start dumping on you all of their personal issues, their, their life's story. And they want you to be pastoral with them. Number two, they tell you all about their spiritual and personal and uh, their moment of salvation and all the ways in which the church has made a difference in their life. And you end up talking about the church that way. Um, so when you tell someone you're a pastor, it, it just leads to hours of conversation that I find generally unhelpful, um, especially when I'm on renewal leave and I just want to play golf. Mm -hmm. um, I remember I played golf in one place. There was a caddy that was assigned to work that walk with me. Um, and by hole two, he knew I was a pastor. And by hole five, I just had to be honest and say, <laughs> I really just want to focus on golf today. Um, because his conversations, the, the things he had to say about the church, about the exclusivity that the church should be focusing on, um, it was just angering me to the point where I couldn't play golf anymore. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I came back and my first four weeks were just kind of reflecting on the conversations that I had uh, around who the church is, where the church has succeeded and or failed, um, and and also allowing people to just be people without being a profession. Um, yes, I am a pastor. I don't think being a pastor defines my identity. Mm -hmm. It is, it is a calling. It is an occupation and a vocation. Um, but I can be Thomas without being Pastor Thomas. Um, and I think that's going back to the the necessary. Um, traits of clergy and how our, our egos are stroked, some people never step out of the pastoral role. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important, you know, when you're running, you don't need to be Pastor Andrew on the run. You just, you're, you're a runner, yeah. right? You get into, you get into that flow, right? And, and I don't know about you, but when I'm on the golf course, I'm not thinking about all the pastoral encounters I had this week or that I, all the emails I need to send when I get done. I'm thinking about how to hit the best golf shot I can hit. Um, when I'm hanging out with my children, I'm not thinking about the other children in the church because at that moment, I am nothing more than Asher and Nathan's dad. Yeah. And I need to be their, their dad. And, you know, with my wife, I need to be her spouse. I need to be her partner. Um, and so I think it's important that we find ways to disconnect from our occupation, even if we define it as our vocation, so that we can truly be authentically the person God has made us as an individual, even beyond our profession. I mean, and, you know, we've had this conversation on the, on the podcast before of this nature of identity, right? Being, being a pastor is just part of my identity. Right. And a healthy self-care practice will identify the parts of our identity. It'll identify the, the people that we are. And, and I've been saying it in this series that I've been preaching in my churches is, yes, I'm a pastor. But like you said, I'm also a husband. I'm a father. I'm a runner, you know, I am the leader of a run group, you know, I have a lot of other things that identify myself. And so, yeah, I tell people, you know, I'm the running rev, but that, you know, that's just a nickname I use. That's just a, a, a shtick that I have. It's not that, you know, I'm not, that doesn't mean I want you to, to, as we're running together down the trail that I, that you need to tell me your whole life story. Uh, those are just two identities that I've picked out and have created a nice little, name for myself. Um, 
And I think it's the people that we interact with on a daily basis who, who really kind of punctuate all of those ideas in our mind. And it, it speaks to a nature of self-care of how we are in relationship with others as well. Uh, and so when we're meeting those people, you know, I've done it on the golf course before where you get to hole one and there's like three other folks who are teeing off at the same time you do. And you're like, Hey, why don't we play together? And it's like, now you're in a four hour long relationship with folks. Um, and, and they've all, they're always really interesting, but you're right. It, it's, it's really tough and it weighs on you when you have to kind of enter that role <laughs> well, that joke, you're not prepared for. Right. And I, I joke some, um, <laughs> but if they ask me in the first few holes, I feel like I don't want to tell them I'm a pastor. Like I, I'm in human resources or I, I, you know, I work with people because then I have to have three and a half hours of, still of conversation around being a pastor. If they ask me near the end of the round, I feel more comfortable saying I'm a pastor because we don't have enough time to talk about it much. Yeah. But usually by the time you're on hole 16, 17, 18, somebody in the group has dropped enough four letter words that if you tell them you're a pastor, um, then they start feeling like they need to apologize to you oh, and you gosh. get dumped with all the weight of guilt and grief that they feel <laughs> having either used the Lord's name in vain or whatever <laughs> for the last four hours. Um, and I was, I'm like, I, I am on the golf course so that I can just say what I need to say. If I need to express grief, I want to be able to express grief. I don't want to feel guilty for cussing at myself for hitting a bad shot on the golf course. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like that's why I'm out in the middle of nowhere. So I can do that. <laughs> I say I tell people I've said so much worse probably within the last 24 hours. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> sure. So, so what was probably uh, what was your biggest takeaway? What what's probably the biggest thing that you learned from renewal league? <laughs> um, <laughs> I I laugh and I'm I'm hesitant to even answer it because this is the question my leadership board asked me. Um, my honest answer is the biggest thing I learned was how to shoot a lower score in golf. Um, I, I really was very intentional about not thinking about the work of the church while I was gone. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with myself about the work of the church since I've been back. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were to ask me today what I learned from my renewal leave, um, I would probably say I've learned a lot having come back from renewal leave. If you ask me the day I got back from renewal leave, what I learned was my children love to swim and that there are certain things I can do to be a better golfer. Um, so I, today, as I reflect on the last you know, five months, three months of renewal leave and two months of being back in the office, um, I'm still just as disappointed mm -hmm. with the state of the denomination. Um, uh, the renewal leave that I took was probably more necessary because of the denominational strife than it was local church issues. Um, if I could just focus on the work and ministry of Washington Street, renewal leave would still be necessary, but for a very different reason. Mm -hmm. um, it is the greater struggle of the denomination that I think causes me the most grief. Uh, looking at how clergy interact with each other, um, looking at how we have conversations about what is supposed to be a hope-filled um, proclamation of the gospel mm -hmm. and ends up turning into nothing but drag out fights with each other. Um, so I, I think that's still a question I'm asking myself is um, I took renewal leave and I got away from that for three months and it was enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Like for three months, I didn't put up with any bickering or fighting from colleagues and denominational leaders. And um, the last two months I, I'm right back in the midst of it. Um, not to mention leading a church through a pandemic. I mean, yeah, 
my first Sunday back in church, I got an email the next day saying that someone who was at church may have had monkeypox. Mm. And I was like, really? Like my first Sunday back, oh. I'm dealing with a new pandemic. <laughs> um, you know, so so I think as you, you commented earlier, we spend a lot of time learning to be ministers in the Methodist church. Uh, we have one of the longest master's programs that exists just to be able to be ordained. And yet most of what we learned, while it set us up to be better theologians, um, perhaps better preachers, and in some ways better pastoral caregivers, uh, I'm not sure that it set us up to be great leaders in the world we live in today, because mm. it's a very different world we live in today. Yeah, I think one of the greatest Facebook groups I'm in is things they didn't teach you in seminary. <laughs> yes. But, um, and you talked early on, you know, we talked about the the leave, the vacations and stuff like that, that you took early on in your ministry. H have you found that that disconnection from church, maybe, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, turning off your church brain, turning off your pastor brain? Uh, do you find that that's a little bit easier to do since you did that for three months per, for the most part? Yeah. Um, yes. I, I hesitate to answer that question fully because my wife is also in ministry. Yeah. And so even when I disconnect from my ministry, um, a lot of our personal family conversations center around the church because her work has to do with the church. Mm -hmm. um, so it's difficult for me to completely disconnect because even when I'm offering support to her, it's usually dealing with church stuff. Um, but absolutely. I, it did not take me long, maybe just a week or two, to really disconnect from the work of the church during the renewal leave. It took me about two months, I think, to really alleviate the sense of stress and weight that I had been feeling prior to renewal leave. Um, so two months, I would say anyone who's thinking about a renewal leave, don't go for less than two months. Mm -hmm. um, because for me, it took two months to really kind of settle in to my own identity again. Uh, without feeling any of the weight of of the church ministry on my shoulders. July was then a very fast month <laughs> with that weight gone. You know, the time flies when you're, when you're having fun. Like I had fun in July. Mm -hmm. um, I took three different trips. We went to the beach. I went to see family. I played some golf. Um, and all of a sudden, August was here. Um, and in part because of that email about monkeypox, in part just because of the work of the church that needed to get ramped up quickly when I got back, um, I had to set the, the ministry schedule that hadn't been set. Uh, it didn't take a week and a half for most of that stress to kind of fall back upon me. Yeah. Um, I found myself cooking dinner, I think, nine days back. And like I, I was just almost having an anxiety attack because of how much work immediately got dumped back on me. Um, and, and the church did a good job of trying not to overburden me. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just the reality of the job. It's the reality of the position that there's a lot of weight that we hold, whether it's named or unnamed, mm -hmm. it is weight that is placed on the pastor's shoulders. And, and it just continues to speak. Even if we can't take those, you know, three months off, you know, we only get it every six years. And I think, you know, there's a stipulation that it's six years ordained. So, you know, I've, this is, right. this is coming up on the end of my eighth year of ministry, but I'm st I'll still be two more years away from getting renewal leave yeah. or this kind of renewal leave because I got ordained in 2019. So, um, right. you know, we, we have those kinds of stipulations as well. And so I think it speaks even more to those typical times of leave. I often tell pastors, you know, have some time where you do two straight weeks of vacation. Cause for me, it often takes a full week just to, Relax, like you said, relax and get yeah. in a state where I feel like I can enjoy vacation. 
And at a minimum, take a Sunday off. Yeah. I think that's what a lot of a lot of take clergy of again. I we put so much pressure on ourselves. We think that we are so important that we leave on Sunday afternoon and we come back Saturday night, so we never miss a Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, and I think that's vitally important. Um, and I know that's hard in some places, right? I'm in Northern Virginia. Um, and so in Northern Virginia, there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of clergy. We have access, um, in, in some ways to guest preachers who can come in. Um, that's not always true in every community. And there are different expectations that different churches and different personnel committees might put on you. Um, but as much as you can, absolutely take off, leave on a Monday and don't come back until the following Saturday. Yeah. So you miss a Sunday, maybe you miss two Sundays in a row. Um, give yourself that leave and give yourself the freedom to be gone that long. No, I often will will take two Sundays off. I I made a I made a hard and fast rule when I entered ministry that that I will never return to church to a Sunday morning. Um, yeah, I, I will always return on a Monday. Monday will always be my first workday back because you know the thought of being gone for a week and then coming back into the pulpit. I would never be able to relax because my entire mindset would be, okay, I have to get into the pulpit on Sunday and preach a sermon. And even if I had that sermon done before I left on vacation, my entire mindset would be coming back to preach that sermon. And I think, you know, you know, a lot of pastors who listen to this will know it's not just, you know, we don't just show up in the pulpit and preach. Um, I remember very early on, you know, I had ministry colleagues who asked like, okay, how long is your sermon preparation? And I'm like, in a week, 10 hours, like in a, if you want to consider all the work that goes into a sermon before it gets preached, like it's, it's even longer just between planning out the series, planning out the specific sermon, you know, reading commentaries, reading the scripture, prayer, all of those things. But, but in a given week, I spend about 10 hours in sermon preparation. That's about, you know, five to six hours of, of, of reading, of, of going through, of, of planning out the, the outline, of putting together some sort of manuscript that has some semblance of coherence to it, of running through it a few times. I mean, all of these things. And even if you take out, you know, the writing component, the reading component during a week, I mean, I'm I'm someone who 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 likes to run through my sermon, you know, three or four times yeah. to have it internalized, you know, um, uh, so that when I get in the pulpit, I'm not looking down at my iPad the entire time trying to just read a sermon off of it. So, yeah, I think, I mean, that just becomes such an important and vital aspect of, of taking vacation Absolutely. is when you come back from your vacation, do you feel at least like, do you feel renewed from that vacation or do you feel like you did work during that vacation? I, I remember some years ago, uh, my wife and I had just gotten married and she had been working with a pastor and she had heard this story from a clergy friend of hers uh, about this pastor's vacation life. Um, the pastor had a couple of children who were teenagers. Um, and as they were getting ready for vacation one year, going away for a week, this 12-year-old child asks the father, the minister of the church, um, are you going to stay the entire time? Mm. And dad's like, what do, you, what do you mean? And the child says, every time we go on vacation, you get a call from someone in the church and you end up having to leave vacation early to come home. Mm. Uh, for 12 years, every vacation they had gone on, at least by this child's recollection, the father had left vacation early because there was a death or some other pastoral emergency that this pastor needed to come back and deal with. Mm. Um, and the fact that it was embedded in this 12-year-old's mind that the dad was not going to be there says a couple of things. Number one, it is not just affecting the minister, the pastor, when they have to disconnect from vacation to come back to work, mm-hmm. but it is affecting the whole family. 
the stress that we as clergy hold often, you know, is felt by those who are closest around us. Yeah. So family, spouses, children, whatever that may look like. Um, and so I think that's also important. Like it, it the need to take time away, the t- need for renewal, it doesn't just impact our own personal well-being, um, but it really impacts the well-being of those around us, both family and friends. Um, and I think it impacts the well-being of the church, right? If, if I am jaded by the work of the ministry such that I am terse and I am short and I am snarky, um, I, I'm not really able to lead in a way that I think God would rather me lead. And so that sabbatical, that renewal leave, that vacation time, those two days off every week, I think that helps us, allows us, uh, you know, from a true Sabbath request, right, to be prepared for the work that is set before us. And and how important and vital that that becomes as we're practicing our vocation, our craft. Um, so before we head out here, just a couple of end yeah. of podcast questions. Uh, so Thomas, what is something that makes you feel accomplished? Mm. <laughs> um, breaking 80 on the golf course. I was wondering if you were going to say a golf score. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there are other things, but, um, but yes, I, I would say balancing a budget and breaking 80 on the golf course. Balancing a budget. Oh gosh. <laughs> it definitely is charge conference season here in the church. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you go to aside from God when life gets tough? A, a, a few close colleagues. Uh, I, I have a couple colleagues who I meet weekly with, um, and and we talk about everything from ministry to, to personal life. Uh, they're they're kind of my confidants and and accountability guys. All right, and so last question: What is an upcoming goal that you have? Hmm. So uh, I leave tomorrow morning to go play in the Virginia State Golfers Association Mid Amateur. Um, it's a tournament that is being held in Charlottesville. I figured I played enough golf this summer that this is the best my golf game is ever going to get. Um, and so I have to take advantage of that while it's here. Um, and so there's, there's a round on Friday and Saturday and only 50% make the cut for Sunday. Uh, so my goal this week is to make the cut and play on Sunday. All right. Well, good luck. Uh, well, you'll have to send me an update and I'll put the update in, uh, it, it, when this episode comes out, cause it'll come out next week, but uh, Thomas, it's been great having you on. Thank you so much for joining us and helping us learn a little bit more about Leeds. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be with you today. What great and awesome nuggets of information that uh, were in that episode. I just enjoyed so much talking to Thomas about what his renewal leave looked like, what the process going into the renewal leave was, and how he handled it. I think if I'm trying to find one thing that I take away from this episode, it really is that preparatory work that goes into these types of lead. Because one of the things that I have noticed in my ministry journey is the way that times for self-care are received by others. And the way we have those conversations often is a stress-relieving opportunity. Now hear me. I am not saying that having these conversations is stress relieving. I think they're very stressful. I don't like having them, but you know, if you have them ahead of time, hopefully it helps to relieve the stress that you feel while you are away. And so some of the things that Thomas talks about, like having the conversations with his leader leadership board, starting it very early on saying, you know, at some point in time here in the very near future, I am going to need some extended time off. 
having that conversation with uh, his leadership at his church, the leadership in our conference, and then coming up with ways to make that leave effective for him by having the, the church that he serves help him in that effort. And so whether it's picking up where he is not doing work for this time or uh, creating the space for him to be able to have that time off, being a part, I'm sure that there were conversations while he was gone surrounding his leave and he trusted his leadership to be able to have those conversations. You, you know, these are the, the steps. These are those boundaries that we often talk about in creating a self-care ritual that helps to feed us, that helps to revitalize us, that helps to renew us. And these are the things that in the long run, these boundaries and these conversations around boundaries that we have will help to play a role in making sure that the way we practice self-care is effective and is renewing. And so I think as I I reflect on this episode, this conversation with Thomas, uh, that is one of the things that I am taking away from it. And so I want to thank Thomas so much for coming on. What an awesome conversation we were able to have. I want to thank uh, my patrons, David Vaughn, Pam Anderson, and Amy Dane. You know, I love the support that you three are offering at this point in time uh, in this mission and in this ministry. I would love uh, more support as we continue to do these things. Uh, we continue to, I continue to expand on what I am offering. I'm hoping to be able to offer some some blogs, some written posts, not just from me, but some uh, from some other voices that you have heard right here on this podcast uh, through the Active Faith website. And so head on over to activefaithpod.com to check out all the goings on. All the podcast episode and show notes are there. Um, but also, uh, I would love it if you would help to support the podcast uh, through uh, by going to patreon.com slash run and rev. Uh, and you can offer your support there. Any type of monthly donation uh, is, is greatly appreciated. And your monthly donation uh, will help to make sure that I can continue to offer these sorts of things as we continue to do this ministry work together. Uh, and I've even got some stickers for a lot of my Patreon supporters and hoping to offer some more things. I know it's, it's tough. I'm still... Uh, very much self-sustaining in this effort. And so sometimes it's tough to offer a few of those things, but I try and offer things when I am able to. Uh, And so if you would do that, make sure you are following and subscribing to this podcast. And then if you would just help by leaving a rating or review, if you can do none of this other stuff, just head on over, take the minute or so it takes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to leave a rating and review. And please, please, please share the podcast with others so that others can learn and grow as well. And now may God bless each of us, and may we find ways to stay active in and for God's kingdom. Amen.